All right, hello and welcome to another episode of Take to Take. It's our second quarantined edition, so we are not in the uh, Allen State Radio studios as we normally were. My name is Patrick Talent. I'm joined alongside Nick Robbins and Luke Burrows once again. How are you guys doing today? Great. Good. Good. Happy to be back. So last we um, spoke, we talked about potential options for the NHL uh, season, if the season was going to resume, if the playoffs were going to resume, if they were going to scrap the season, we shared our thoughts. But just a couple weeks ago, Gary Bettman had an announcement where he laid out the format. And um, whether you like it or not, this seems to be the format that at least tries to benefit every single team. Um, so, Nick, did you want to uh, kind of go through the, the NHL format and what it's going to look like? I think Luke was going to do that, going to go through it. Sure. Um I was, I'm just thinking, though, what we, we should have watched our show we did back in um, March or whatever, because it would have been interesting to see what we thought. I think we said, I think we said it should have gone by point percentage and all that. Yeah. 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 So, I, for the most part, we were against 24 teams. Yeah. yeah. I think so. Yeah. But Anyways. I mean, we'll now that out. I'm pretty happy with it. But so how it's going to work. Top four teams from each conference are automatically in the playoffs already. They do a round robin um, to seed one to four. And then five through 12 in each conference do their own qualifying round. And what I think is funny about this is that the NHL has explicitly said that it's not playoffs, but it's also not regular season. So I'm like in terms of contracts and stuff and bonuses or what have you I don't really know how that's going to work but then what's really different is the winners of that and then they reseed with the uh, round robin teams and then um, it's best of seven through to the finals they said they reseed right right after the qualifying round do they reseed for the rest of the way as well judging uh, you don't have, you have the bracket Pat I don't have the bracket Okay, because I'm, I'm looking at it. It's kind of, I think they do based on how they describe it here. But what I like about it, because when they first came out with it, Bettman said um, the first round of actual playoffs might be of five as well, but it's of seven, which is good. I mean, I, I think it's a good format for the circumstances the NHL was in. Like, I think they did pretty well. They you guys can see the image I have up there, right? Yep. Yeah, just there. So the two best of five qualifying rounds. And then um, pull up the other one here. So uh, like Luke touched on, there's going to be a round robin between the top four in each conference. And then here is going to be our full bracket. Yeah, that's the one I was looking at. Okay. I, I like the four. Like, Everyone keeps saying, yeah, you can't please everyone, and that's totally true. But for the position the NHL is in, I think I think this makes the most sense. And that includes what it means for the lottery and the draft as well. But I yeah, I think either way, we're going to get some entertaining hockey out of it. Um, you know, obviously, we don't know how entertaining the hockey is going to be without the fans and that passion that the playoffs usually have. But in terms of just the pure on-ice product, like, I can't, I, I don't, I look at this thing right now and I can't say that there's really a bad matchup on there and one that won't at least be exciting, even with the, uh, it, even with like the higher seeded teams that were like more so guaranteed spots, like they're going to be in some good matchups here. Um, in particular, like, like Pittsburgh will feel pretty hard done. Um, 
by the format in particular, but again, uh, Series vs. Montreal is going to be entertaining. I'm sure we'll get Patrick's thoughts on that, but even uh, Western Conference, some really even matchups there. So, um, like like you said, Luke, given the position that the NHL was in, I think they did really well here, and I know it's gotten a lot of uh, negative reviews online, uh, but I think the NHL did pretty well, all things considered. And I also think, like, when Gary Bettman did his um... – when he did that announcement on, on sports and he also said, we spent a lot of time on this. We felt as if this will benefit every single team, no matter what, even the teams that didn't make the playoffs, the teams that did. So you have to look at it and see if, if they canceled the season, for example, Boston and Tampa and those strong teams are going to want some sort of reward or compensation for being so strong. So this was the way to kind of make sure everyone, um, everyone is included. So I like it. Um, I just think it's, I think it's going to be pushed once again, but I do respect the NHL and Gary Bettman's decision because at least they made one. At least there was some, you know, once the season was canceled, the NHLPA and Gary Bettman and all these people were having meetings constantly. We were updated with uh, from Pierre Lebrun and Bob McKenzie about meetings and how the progress was going. Whereas a lot of people were upset with like the NBA, for example, where a decision, you know, they were quick to can't or to suspend it, but it took them longer to come to a decision. So at least it's something from the NHL. At least it's an announcement. And in this case, you know, we've been so deprived of sports for so long that, you know, seeing them potentially return if they end up doing that um, is good. Well, yeah, I think in general, the lines of communication were pretty open here. And I think that's all you can ask for in a time like this. So it's good. What I thought was funny was the NHL seemed to be quicker in developing their plan and kind of releasing their plan to come back. But the NBA actually set a hard date before the NHL did, which yeah. I thought was funny. But um like I, I, I like. I know it's kind of hard to do, but I like the idea of give, getting given. Like they said, July thirty first. We intend to be back. I would have liked that from the NHL, but I mean, you can kind of guess. I think it's going to be late, late August. I don't yeah, know. they did say they're going to have to do at least what three weeks of training camp before anybody can hit the ice again. And that's you know, there's all the risks that come. Like. What we don't know yet is like what the NHL's plan is in terms of, well, we, we don't really know specifics on testing for COVID-19 and uh, sort of the safety net as to what exactly happens to hockey and these teams if somebody tests positive with the virus. Um, we don't know those details yet, and we're going to have to get those before we can really judge or get any clear idea of how this is going to work. But uh, just based on pure format and pure hockey, um, everything seems pretty well thought out in that regard. The only issues will come up, um, like to say whether, and this is kind of leading into another question, but to say like how much integrity is really in these playoffs because they're so different. Like, is there going to be an asterisk beside the cup winner's name? I think it really depends on how the actual playoffs play out. If it, like, if there's less upsets all the way through, I think people are going to go, okay, like, yeah, that's a reasonable uh, like that's a reasonable road to the cup, but like if you know if if Pittsburgh loses, if Toronto loses, if even Carolina in the first round, like and all the like Montreal goes through, I think people are going to start questioning. No offense to Montreal, but I think people are going to start questioning how you know legit these playoffs were. Unfortunately, but, I think people yeah. are already because of last year questioning how legit the NHL playoffs are, given how many upsets we saw in last year's first round, totally normal um, playoff bracket and just procedure, uh, how many upsets we saw last year and people were already starting to question what is the integrity of the playoffs versus like, um, is it more of an accomplishment to win the Stanley Cup or the President's Trophy at that point? 
Yeah, and um, I think, sorry, go ahead, Nick. Yeah, no, and I think just this way, it's going to throw a lot more parity in there. There's going to be people that are going to be upset with the playoff format, obviously. Um, like you touched on, if one of those big seeds loses, uh, those fans, those uh, broadcasters, those uh, players, those management, uh, people in management are going to be really upset with the whole thing. So uh, obviously we're just going to have to see how it plays out. But I think in terms of just trying to get that medium that perfect sweet spot where at least most people are happy with everything um, in terms of the draft lottery and the return to play uh, format. I think this really checks enough boxes for me. I feel like I disagree a little bit with the, cause I've been seeing it a lot of what, you know, if, if Montreal somehow goes on a run or if, or if, you know, uh, Tampa loses right away or whatever. And I feel like this stuff pre-existed COVID-19, this stuff pre-existed the new format, you know, Vegas's first year, they make it all the way to the cup final. Um, you look at Tampa got swept by Columbus last year. This hockey is such an unpredictable sport. And we look at like predictions, no one ever has a perfect bracket. And if they do, it's probably luck. So it's not like these upsets are because of COVID. There's a chance Montreal upsets Pittsburgh. There's a chance Chicago. I'm not going to bet against Patrick Kane in the playoffs. So this stuff can happen. And I feel like that shouldn't diminish the performance of them or should, um, should question the valid validity of if they deserve a Stanley cup. I feel like that stuff that happens when there's not a, when the playoff format wasn't changed, it happened with Vegas, happened with these other teams. So I feel like I just disagree a little bit with that idea because teams are always going to be upset. But yeah, it's a wonky sport. That's, but that's it. if you, but I, I'm a big believer in once you make the playoffs, anything can happen. So I'm like, if you're a fringe team, like right on the bubble, don't try to drop out to get a pick. Like just try to make the playoffs, scrape into eighth, and I then I think there's a lot of luck involved. But in this case, like. Montreal was not making the playoffs. They were 100% not one, they were 99% not making the playoffs. So it, I get why people would be kind of frustrated that on uh, Montreal might beat but out. It happened. But if anything can happen, then how can you go against, like, you know what I mean? If Montreal could have made the playoffs. And if you look like that was a snail's pace race. To I agree. Anything can oh, happen. Oh, absolutely. The playoffs start, but Montreal, like, so that, so that, couldn't that apply now if Montreal – I'm not – like, I, I've been – No, there. because, like, once you get into the playoffs, it's just get a hot goalie for four or five games and you beat the best team in the league in four games. Like, Columbus. I also think skill guys take longer to – like, I, I've always been team tank this year. Um, I've always wanted Montreal to lose, and I'd want them to get swept by Pittsburgh. But there, I think there's something about arrested carry Price. And we'll get into the matchups later, but just for this specific example, I think skill guys take longer to get back into the swing of things. You look at a lot of uh, – goal scoring wingers for example sometimes they'll take 12 games to finally score a couple goals they get that and then they get going whereas hockey players that are a bit more gritty I think might be easier to transition so I feel like for teams who are on the fringe and probably wouldn't have made the playoffs Montreal was not going to make the playoffs um I agree with that but there's still I don't think it it diminishes um anything if they were to beat Pittsburgh or anything like that yeah and I really like you touched on a bit earlier I think two of the most relieved teams in this entire thing are uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Florida Panthers, because like you said, it was just a snail's paced race for that last playoff spot. Probably like the worst race for a final playoff spot we've ever seen. I don't think either of them at that point were really deserving of the whole thing, but you know, here they are. And now they're both in, we're going to see, uh, we're going to see what happens and we're going to get a couple of entertaining series out of it, no matter what. So we can, and let, Luke, did you want to touch anything or can we move to the lottery? Nope. No, we're good. So we'll talk about matchups later and what that means for, um, Montreal and Chicago and other playing teams. Um, but for the lottery, for Nick especially, and a little bit uh, me, um, 
So the new lottery format, so there are still 15 teams in the lottery. Um, and then in for that – For everyone, really. Like all, all three yeah. of them, like you and I are equal, Pat. Yeah, okay, true. So included in that lottery, the 15-team lottery, are the seven teams um, that would uh, take part in the 24-team conference-based tournament. So if the NHL returns uh, in the summer. So that's Detroit, that's Ottawa, San Jose, which is Ottawa's pick, LA, Anaheim, New Jersey. So for example, how this works, because they mentioned, Gary Bettman mentioned they're going to be running multiple um, lotteries depending if one of the placeholders wins. So let's say for this example, Detroit wins the lottery. If the winner for the second and third overall picks are a placeholder team such as Montreal or Chicago, a second lottery will be held after those teams are eliminated and only those eight eliminated teams would be eligible for the second and third overall picks, if that makes sense. So the other eight teams eligible for the top picks are the ones that lose in the qualification round of the postseason. For example, the number five seed through the number 12 seed um, in each conference. And then those teams will take part in a second draft lottery before the 16 team Stanley cup playoffs begin. Um, Still a little bit confusing to me. I think I'm on the hang of it. Um, what do you guys think of that? Um, Nick, we'll get your thoughts because you're obviously, you know, Ottawa was the favorite. Really invested in it, yeah. Well, yeah. You, you explained it pretty well there, as best as you can at this point, because like you said, it is really confusing how everything's going to work. There is no just absolute clear-cut way to explain it, but you did pretty well. Um, my early reaction, I think, as a – viewer of the sport like I get it I totally get why the NHL did what they did as a fan I know a lot of Senators fans Red Wing fans were really hoping um, there was going to be something some extra incentive in there for them as in they were going to boost the lottery odds or they were going to revert back to the um, old lottery format where only uh, a team who wins the lottery can only move up four spots Uh, there was a lot of talk of that um, back in March um, so I was just genuinely surprised that they didn't do that. And I sort of expected them to change, but I get why they didn't change anything really. Um, I just don't see the only part I feel for in terms of these teams that don't get to play again is they don't get that extra gate revenue, that concession revenue that you would have gotten, uh, with those last 10 to 12 regular season games, which is why I sort of predicted that they would give those teams like extra lottery odds as some sort of incentive for that uh, to make up for it. But as a pure business type focus, I get why the NHL did what they did with the lottery. And I think it just makes sense uh, for all teams involved or that are going to be involved, depending on how the playoffs shake up. I think it makes sense. Uh, Yeah, no, I like, I think I agree with a lot of what Nick is saying. But just in terms of how fair it is, again, like I think it's not perfect, but <clears throat> I think it's and it's maybe a bit too, com- like it's a bit too complex than it maybe needed to be. But it makes sense, like give those teams because they obviously because they have time constraints of when they need to do the lottery, give certain teams that chance right away, and then you have it's kind of funny they actually went ahead with placeholders, but like then you have the the placeholders that would come in because giving those teams a chance, it just, I, I, I think it makes sense, even it might be a bit convoluted, but I, I like it. Yep. I agree. I think um, for teams like Chicago, Montreal, the ones we're talking about, the placeholder teams, um, it gives, and Nick, we were talking about this earlier, how it's, it gives the fans and the team the best option. If they lose, they get a good pick. If they, if they, they also have the chance to go on a run. So that's fine. Um, I like the placeholder option because teams that were on the fringe, like we talked about, 
they're going to want a reward as well, not just the teams that were at the top and not just the teams who were at the bottom. So I think that's good. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out with the placeholder teams. So I think in Chicago's case, if they if, – who is Chicago playing again? They're playing um, – Edmonton. So if Chicago beats Edmonton, um, that would mean Edmonton would have a chance in the second lottery that they simulate, right? Yeah. So – and then Chicago, their pick that was potentially at like 26th or 27th or um, 6th or 7th overall um, would go up to um, like 17th overall, something like that. So um, I think it works. And if that's the case, then Chicago can go on a run and stuff like that. So I like it uh, for the most part. Yeah, it's fine. I think and the same thing with what I said about like the playoffs. I think if the expected thing happens with the lottery um, and like not like no big surprises, I think it'll go over really well. But then again, like if a placeholder team wins one, two, or three, um, and then Montreal beats Pittsburgh, suddenly Pittsburgh has equal odds with eight other teams to to get a one, two, three spot, which is yeah. I feel like it's the same thing with the playoff format. There's going to be upset teams, but I think we're really going to get into controversy if these seven teams that didn't get to play again. I guess technically. It, I'm not really counting San Jose in this um, because of the fact that they don't even have a, a play in this at all. They don't have a first round pick. They don't have a spot in the playoffs. Um, if three placeholders win the lottery, that's a total long shot, but if three placeholders win the lottery and these seven teams not only don't get to play again, but they don't even get the big pick or anything like that, Teams that are struggling to fill the buildings as is, like Ottawa and Detroit, are going to be pretty uh, pretty upset with everything and how that shakes up. So I think there's going to be a pretty uh, big backlash if that happens. Again, really small chance that doesn't happen or that happens, but it's something that the NHL probably has considered. But I guess we don't know exactly how those conversations happen between them and the team. So and it'll also be interesting. If, if the, the lottery is going to be are going to be simulated or however they're going to do it during the placeholder games, right? So if Montreal or Chicago are playing these teams and they end up winning, they end up winning a, a lottery spot, couldn't that also potentially incentivize losing knowing that they have a spot at that? What's the exact timeline there? How, when do they do that first draw? They set a date, didn't they? Did they? I thought they did. And I, I think it was, I mean, your point still stands. I think the uh, the first lottery... June 26th, by the way. June 26th? Is that it? That's it. That's yeah, the so, date circled on my calendar. So if, if yeah, I mean, like if a placeholder team sees that... If a placeholder team comes first, and then you have those eight placeholder teams, potential placeholder teams, looking at that number one slot, like, I I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, I think they wouldn't, they wouldn't do anything, but... But there, there's, yeah, they probably wouldn't. And I, I don't think any professional athlete actually wants to lose, especially if they're no. playing. But there's always going to be that conversation that maybe it incentivizes losing. But it also depends. So say Chicago wins, uh, gets third overall, but they're also placeholder. If they were to lose, they'd also have to wait for the other placeholders to lose out as well to simulate it again because they can't simulate it. If there's I, in I think what, what would stop them from tanking in that case is the fact even if you do, even if a placeholder team is first in the lottery, you still only have a 12.5. Yeah. So even that is probably. Plus, like we said, it's that pride of professional athletes, right? You ask any athlete, even on 
say the 14-15 Buffalo Sabres, like literally one of the worst teams we've ever seen. Like nobody on that team was trying to purposely lose. These are professional athletes. They're paid to play their sport. They want to win because they all have that pride. And especially in a case where all they need to do is play hard for a couple of games and they have a chance in the playoffs, like I, I, I don't think there's going to be any fear of tanking. So was there any talk about making the placeholder games? Because I know it's best of five, right? But, but I heard our potential rumor that they were going to move it to seven, but I'm not sure if that's been finalized. They're probably going to stick with. I off. think for, for the qualifying round, like the playing games, they said from the start it's best of five. Right. And then they said the quarters and – or no, the, like the quarters and the conference, whatever you call it. First, first and second round. round. Yeah. They were five or seven, and then they just committed to – seven but best of the yeah but the older best of five series that's still playoff rules though that's not regular season rules is it correct playoff rules playoff okay. rules. But it's not playoffs it's not like like okay. right that's, that's is, the part where it's like it's, it's a little bit of i don't like that like i think they need to you, it needs to be something it can't be it can't not be regular season or playoffs but. yeah not playoff like not a playoff game but playoff rules i'm gonna call it the playoffs call it like call it whatever you want the play-ins but like the, it's gonna be playoff hockey based on the intensity and the rules, it's going to be playoff hockey. What did they say about conditionals for, like, what – so qualifying is making the playoffs is winning your play-in round, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so we can move on from that. I think that's – I think we summed it up pretty uh, – and also talking about it as it makes for a better understanding, so that's good. So we're going to move on to matchups, starting with your team, Luke, Vancouver versus Minnesota. Um how that matchup will will play out. What are your predictions? And um, who do you have winning? I'm, I mean, who do I have Vancouver winning? Um, and I want to think, even if I wasn't biased, I would say that. But I'm super excited. Like, I'm super excited regardless. But specifically in terms of, like, the actual matchup, I, I think like, Vancouver is the better team. I don't – I've seen a lot more people leaning towards Minnesota than I would have expected. But – I, don't, I thought they, they had a decent run towards the end of the season, Minnesota. I think um, as much as everybody can laugh at the fact that they're likely the mo- one of the most mediocre teams they have um, in NHL right. history, and they have been for a long time, they had a really, really solid run towards the end of the season. Like they played really well. That team plays hard. Uh, Kevin Fiala, in particular, uh, what an outstanding season he's had. Goes from healthy scratch and on the trade block to uh you know a guy that's carrying a team's offense like 54 points in 64 games really good really good production uh, i just think like i know player to player isn't the best way to look at it but when you put those two rosters together like who does minnesota have that can kind of like i saw i saw someone had comparisons out and for the vancouver minnesota series it was Pedersen and brodeen like yeah, Jonas Brodin, again, uh, starting to get a lot of conversation with him about how he is the uh, probably the most underrated defenseman in the National Hockey League. He's the he's the new Jacob Slavin. Yeah, um, I, thought, I thought a few a months A lot of stuff about that. Slavin, suddenly it's someone else. So uh, if, uh, if Vancouver's defense, I think it's going to come down to that. If Vancouver's defense can hold and they can keep those few offensive starlets that the uh, Minnesota have at bay, then I think they should be fine. But again, playoff hockey, who knows? All that needs to happen is Minnesota get some good goaltending, keep EP and uh, the Vancouver boys off the board. Then uh, who knows what's going to happen? 
I think Vancouver is going to be healthy, including Markstrom. And that's Markstrom was the key all year. I think he's going to keep being the key in the playoffs. So we can take a look at the graphic that I have pulled up on my screen here. Uh, this is by Jay Fresh Hockey on Twitter, Pat, right? Yeah. 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 So as you can see here, just quick glance at the Minnesota Wild. We won't delve into too much what each statistic means, but Minnesota Wild, pretty solid at both ends of the ice this year, really underratedly. Good offensive team, good defensive team. Again, they lack those game-breaking superstars that can bust a game open, but uh, I think really underratedly this team was really solid this year. And then uh, I'll pull up Vancouver here. And here's Vancouver. So offensively, they're fine. But defensively, there's a lot of concern there. Um, can Tyler Myers and Jordy Ben and Alex Edler contain those superstars or solid offensive players that the Minnesota Wild have? That's going to be the conversation point. And Quinn Hughes. Forgot about him. I forgot. Sorry, I meant sort of more so the guys that are big defensive matchups. And Quinn Hughes. But that Quinn Hughes guy is pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. It's okay. All right, next matchup, Pat? Um, so the next matchup, uh, Montreal versus Pittsburgh. I will speak as a fan that I would love Montreal to get swept. However, I do know a rested carry price um, is very unpredictable. And he can, um, if there's a series he can, series he can steal, especially a shortened one um, against a team that he's typically – almost always played pretty well against it is Pittsburgh. So I do think there is that possibility. I don't want it to happen. Um, I'd be hard pressed to bet against um, Crosby and Malkin going up against Philip Deneau and Nick Suzuki or whoever Montreal is going to run. So um, on paper and statistically, all the evidence goes towards Pittsburgh, but I I have a hard time betting against um, Carey Price. And like I said before, I think, I think it takes longer for skill guys to get back into the groove of things. And Montreal is not an overly skilled team. Um, but their underlying numbers are pretty good. They play a good system, and they've had an expected, positive expected goals for all year throughout their lineup. So um, I think they could surprise. Ben Luke's laughing at me. So um, so you're arguing that Montreal's lack of skill is going to help them in the long run? No, that's not what I'm – I'm saying that I think it's easier for teams that are not massively talented – to come in and get and play. It's easier for someone who's gritty to get back in than it is for some. I'm not saying that that's better. I'm just. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I get it. I think it, it takes longer for skill guys to come back in than it does. And Montreal's not a skilled team, obviously on paper and in every metric, Pittsburgh's the better team. But I think um, Montreal for the most part plays a pretty well-rounded system. And if Carey Price ends up standing on his head, like we've seen him do uh, from time to time, especially when rested um, and he's played well against Pittsburgh. I think it's a possibility. I don't want it to happen. You guys know that I've been team tank all year. You guys know that I've been actively cheering for Montreal to lose. But if, if Montreal does beat Pittsburgh, that obviously means um, either Montreal is actually good or Carey Price is pretty hot. Either way, wouldn't you want to just ride it out? Like, there's oh. clearly some promise there if they beat Pittsburgh. So, yeah, I put a lot of thought into this as a fan. I've decided that I, would love, I want Pittsburgh to sweep Montreal because I want, I, want, I want a good pick. Probably better for the future in that regard. Yeah, you know, I've I've followed this draft class pretty closely, and it's a it, Montreal can get a pretty strong player if they beat Pittsburgh and then they lose in the next round, which would be against um, who would that be against? Even well, they're gonna have to reseed it, right? So whoever that's against, if they lose to that team, Montreal could pick 
16th. And I would rather Montreal lose and have a chance in the lottery than pick 16th. But if they beat Pittsburgh and they end up winning a bit more, then I'm sure I'll start cheering. But um, you know my thoughts. I, I would take a good pick over a, a short-lived run. And I don't think Montreal is the team to, to go on a run this year. Yeah, I would, that's the smart thing. I would bet um, if Montreal, it, whoever wins the series is going to win 3 nothing. I think, I don't think Montreal wins just one game and then Pittsburgh wins the series 3-1. I think if Montreal wins, they're going to be, I think it's, I think it's Price's series to lose. If Montreal wins a the game, they're going to win. And I think like we talked about before, it's so unpredictable. And you look at Columbus last year, Vegas, I think one of these placeholder teams is going to go on a run and surprise someone because that's just how the NHL works. That's how this stuff happens. So It'll be interesting to see. Um, what do you think? Cool to see how it depends, how it changes with best of five and best of seven. Out of the placeholder teams, who would you guys say is the most likely to go on the run? I want it. Chicago had a pretty terrible season, and I watched a handful of their games, and I, I know it's, it's hard to say um, when I haven't watched that much, but I'd be hard-pressed to bet against Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves and and to bring it and, and and the pieces they have um i know they played some pretty sloppy hockey some pretty lazy hockey this year the underlying numbers weren't great but i would um i'd be hard pressed to bet against um bet against yeah, i think i think i'm in the same boat as you pat um i watched a bit more blackhawks hockey than you like i besides the senators the blackhawks are the team that i watched the most in the nhl um and while they are i don't think you can argue that they're anything more than the worst defensive team in the National Hockey League right now. Like, they are just horrendous in their own end. But they have those game-breaking superstars, Patrick Kane, uh, Jonathan Taves. Alex Dabrinkit has had a disappointing year, and what time it would be for him to all of a sudden step up and go back to that 40-goal form he was in last year. And Corey Crawford's still an excellent goalie. Him and Leonard were really solid this year. Uh, Leonard obviously got traded at the deadline to Vegas. But both of them were really, really solid this year. And they have been – Corey Crawford's been the most underrated goalie in the NHL for years now. And uh, against Edmonton, who have their own sort of underlying issues, the goaltending is always questionable. Their defense is always just as questionable. Um, it would be – I'd be hard-pressed, again, to bet against the Chicago Blackhawks right. because they've been there before and they, they know what to do in these situations. That'll be a super fun series to watch. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'd also like to make the case for the New York – because New York Rangers are their placeholder team, aren't they? Mm-hmm. So well, I would, what do you mean by – like you mean just out of the top four? Out of the bottom – Like you mean out of the teams that wouldn't have made the playoffs? Yeah. Right. Because technically everyone aside from the top four is a placeholder team. Pittsburgh is a placeholder team. Right, right. But one of the ones who were closer to the bottom, I think, if we were going to uh, – yeah. We talk about going on a run. I would have to say the New York Rangers. Artemi Panarin, I thought, should have been um, amongst the top conversation for the Hart Trophy. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because because of Benajad played some unbelievable hockey. Um, it took them a bit of time to actually a lot of time um, to get going at the start of the season, but they they started to heat up later on. And I feel like they're playing Carolina, and I feel like there's a that'll that'll be a fun series as well. But I think there's potential that New York can upset the, upset Carolina and go on a bit of a run there. Yeah, and I think that 11th seed that they're in is a little bit, uh, you know, it doesn't show the fact of about how close that Metropolitan uh, playoff race actually was because the New York Rangers were not far out of the playoff race at all. They're only a couple of points behind 
when the regular season went on pause. And like you said, Patrick, they've got those game-breaking players like Artemi Panarin, who absolutely, in my opinion, should be in the Hart Trophy race. And Mika Zibanejad was excellent this year. And they finally got um, some really solid two-way blue liners like uh, Adam Fox, for instance. And Tony D'Angelo had a really good year as well. And they've got three really capable NHL goalies in uh, Georgiev, Shesterkin, and Lunkfist. So, yeah, I'd say in the Eastern Conference, definitely the New York Rangers, that could surprise a lot of people. Luke, what do you think? Um, I just I forgot who the third Rangers goalie was. I forgot about Henrik Lundqvist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what a world. We're forgetting about Henrik Lundqvist. Uh, I'm... I think you guys are sleeping on Edmonton a bit with your Chicago pick. I mean, I I would like Chicago in this situation too, just because they're, I mean, they're they're Chicago, like they're a playoff team. But uh, no, I would, I would agree with the Rangers. Um, and I think in that case too, Carolina is a very uh, upsettable team. I think like if, if they're gonna. If they're going to do well, they're going to do really well. Otherwise, I'd see them gone in the first round. So, And like last season, they obviously did really, really well. I think this year, and part of why, despite Edmonton being a better team all season, I would pick Chicago solely because of experience. And, and yeah. I, I, know, I, think, I know it's kind of a cliche, but I do think playoff experience goes a long way. And Taves and Kane have been in the thick of it, whereas McDavid and Drysaddle have not. Um, but... We will see. We are good to do anything else you guys want to touch on uh, playoff wise or move on to the news. So um, in other news, I was listening to our shows from a couple months ago and we were talking about the dispute between Melnick and um, who wasn't they let go. There was a dispute between the two. Oh, Jim Little. Yeah. And I remember talking about it and that was like the third episode. We talked about something crappy that the Sens organization has done. And we think as soon as, you know, we think it can't get any worse. And sorry, Nick, but it keeps getting worse. Not for not for the team, but obviously Melnick and the organization kind of embarrassing themselves. There was another thing, another news um, news broke about Ottawa and the Sands Foundation um, splitting. I'm pretty sure it just came down to money. I have not read too much into this. Nick, do you want to uh, kind of break down what happened? Yeah, I, I feel like I have to say this every time, but, you know, we've only been doing this show now for, what, about a year and a half. And, uh, I've come on here already multiple times to rant about Eugene Melnick and the Ottawa Senators and their off-ice issues. And the fact that my rants on this show don't even cover maybe a quarter of what he's done over the past three to four years really, really speaks volumes. Look, in all regards, this season was really positive for the Ottawa Senators on ice. They were a lot better this year, uh, I think, than a lot of people expected. Now, it's hard to say that when they finished second last in the National Hockey League but I think people were expecting Detroit levels of bad um, with that team this year. And on it, like just from watching them, you could tell that team obviously cared a lot more and they played a lot harder. They played a lot better this year. Um, it's really unfortunate that a season that seems so positive, especially with two uh, potential top three picks on the horizon, that again, it's the off ice issues that continue to plague this team starting at the top. So uh, this week, Eugene Melnick, like you said, uh, and the Senators Foundation seemed to finally reach a breaking point in uh, their issues. And the Suns Foundation, which has been associated with the team for 22 years, finally split from the organization. Basically, like you said, Pat, it all came down to money again. 
not surprising involving Melnick that it came down to money. What it sounds like is that uh, Eugene Melnick and the Ottawa Senators wanted more control uh, over the actual business model of the Sens Foundation, uh, sort of just optimize it to make sure they're putting more money into the community. He wanted more control, just basically to control where the money's being distributed uh, in terms of the foundation. And it seems like the Sense Foundation return had asked that if they wanted more control over that money, that the Ottawa Senators stop charging them rent costs and other thing, other costs associated with the organization, um, that the Senators were charging the foundation. Most of which I've read, uh, believe it or not, is not commonplace with most NHL teams and their charitable arms, that they're not charging them costs like rent. I'm not surprised that Eugene Melnick was trying to gouge a charity for every last uh, dollar he could get. That doesn't surprise me, unfortunately. And it sort of looks like that was the breaking point for the two uh, separate entities, which is really unfortunate because, like I said, really positive year for the Senators on ice. Yeah, And, and, and look- uh, it's undermined by crap like this. Yeah, that's it really is unfortunate. You look at, like you said, the positive season, the deadline, especially Pierre Duran, um, especially with Eugene himself. But from what I'm reading here, it's actually it looks like the Sens Foundation was the ones to was were the ones who cut ties with Melnick. So that kind of speaks volumes as to how crappy of a person Melnick is. And yep. uh, every couple months, something else comes out about God knows what with him. So um, it's unfortunate because Sens Foundation has done a tremendous job with as a charity working with with children and stuff like that. So yeah, um, and they've done so much for the community of Ottawa. And just basically from a money standpoint, standpoint, it's really unfortunate that it's money issues that constantly seem to be the thing with the senders like uh, Eugene Melick all those years back uh, stating, uh, talking about the sense internal budget and operating on a cost per point basis. If you can believe that quote, um, he made his comments on uh, the eve of the NHL uh, Centennial Classic against Montreal about uh, the fans and the attendance and moving the team if it came to that. He's whined about the fans not being there. We all know why the fans aren't there. I can tell you right now from what I know, it's not because the fans hate the product on the ice. It's they hate something else. Um, And again, now more money comes into dispute with the uh, Sense Foundation. Meanwhile, he's preaching to the media that the Senators are going to be spending to the cap starting next year before they go on a run of what he calls unparalleled success. Yeah, I, rem- I, remember the, I remember the classic between Montreal, Ottawa, and basically in a moment that was supposed to unite Sens fans, and it was played in Ottawa, there was so much excitement around it. He goes on the panel and says and talks about relocation and kind of puts down the fans, even though, you know, it's not the fans. It's not, you know, it's not because of the lack of fans that Ottawa's not doing well. The location is terrible. I've seen quite a few games in Ottawa. Um, parking is unbelievably expensive. It's in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, it's not the most, I, not, I know no arena is, is cheap, but it, it's pretty expensive um, in terms of merchandise and all that stuff. So um, yeah, just a really crappy person. And um Obviously, there were the Melnick out billboards, which I know Nick, I'm pretty sure you donated to. So um, it's unfortunate because I'm not going to sit here, and I'm sure you guys are going to agree with me. Nobody's going to sit here and tell any other fan that Ottawa's a big hockey market. It's not. Ottawa's a really small hockey market, one of the smallest in the NHL. What you have to do with these small market teams, just from a pure business standpoint, you have to 
like he wanted to do with the Suns Foundation, you have to optimize uh, your costs and what you're doing in that market. And like you said, Patrick, where the arena is currently located, it doesn't work. It used to work when the team was good and it was worth it to put in that sort of sacrifice that the fans were making. It's no longer worth it. And so, there's, no, there's no public transit that goes there either. Correct. So when rumors were coming out um, years ago that the Senators were looking to secure an arena sort of in that downtown core, which should have been built um, pretty close to completion by now if things came to fruition um, sort of back in 2016, 2017, when this was all being rumored, Ottawa should be starting up the new era in a new arena in the next year or two. They're not going to do that because, again, it came down to money and Eugene Melnick lost out on that bid for the land. And now the Ottawa Senators are stuck in their current arena. They're not right in that downtown core, which would pretty much be able to just bring all the fans in that downtown market right together. It's a good hub for the team. And, uh, you know, there's the team branding, which is, I think nobody here is going to disagree. It's probably the worst in the NHL. This, uh, this white guy behind me is not so pretty. This guy's a bit better, the older one, but who knows about the jerseys? They can do a lot better. I think everybody knows that. So I don't know. I'm at a loss for words pretty much. Like I, there's not much more I can say on it before repeating myself all these times. It's just, it's what's actually, what's happening to the foundation? Cause I would assume it needs that partnership with the team. To yeah. Be uh, from what it seems like the foundation. Uh, so obviously they can't use the Ottawa senators likeness, the logos, the name uh, to their advantage anymore, but uh, it seems like they're going to maintain, uh, sorry, they're going to keep that organization together and just rebrand it and become a different charitable entity in Ottawa. So does Ottawa, so the Sens just don't have a... It's not going to be called the Ottawa Senators Foundation anymore. Oh, I know. So, like, every every NHL team has... So the Senators are put out a thing yesterday. They're now looking for a new charitable arm to the team. That's so embarrassing. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, man, I know. Okay, so moving on from that really depressing... um, (laughs) uh, Move on to... We'll do cup winners at the end. You guys can have time to think about cup winners. Um, going back to the playoffs and the lottery, we could talk about if we liked the format or not. I know that I think at this point, I'm not sure I'm on board with the season um, starting up. There's still, and to get into the more of like the public health standpoint, there's still the second wave that is said to be pretty bad, especially, um, you know, people are gathering in larger groups again. And um, I think um, the second wave is going to be a lot um, – a lot rougher than we realize. You know, a Pittsburgh player a couple of days ago was just um, announced that he had COVID, whoever it was. Um, I don't know that the season is going to resume for, I think they they want to start the playoffs in what, August? Yeah. The rough goal. Because they said training camps, they, they said a date training camps won't start before, I think, Ju- July 10th? Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, from a health standpoint, I'm against the season starting up again, um, in part because having no fans in the stands, I think, makes the entire experience meaningless, both for um, the fans and the players. I think looking at public health, looking at the numbers that are coming out daily, especially, you know, Nick and I, or Nick, you're north, we're all in Toronto. We're Nick's a little bit north of Toronto. Um, Toronto's in the thick of things. Most of the numbers in Ontario are in Toronto, and, and um, Quebec as well is pretty bad. So I think until we see, like, a significant um, – 
drop in these numbers, I think it'd be hard for. Um, we are trending in the right direction. Yeah. Um, Quebec, actually, they they've done really well the past in their very recent history. Um, but I mean, I, like I don't know Toronto exactly, but Ontario as a whole has been doing pretty good. I mean, oh, but better. I mean, compared compared to other cities, you know, for the 400 cases that came today. Most of that was in Toronto. I'm, I'm not, but regardless of the logistics of the playoff and the playoff format and the placeholders and the lottery, um, are you guys on board, regardless of where your team is, on board with the season resuming without the fans, or would you rather see it scrapped and start up again in September, I guess? If you can resume, I think they should resume. Um, and like I've said many times before, I think it's a different case for, team, for leagues that are just starting up, like the MLB and the MLS, but NBA and NHL, you're almost done. I think if you can safely resume, even if it looks a lot different, I think you need to resume and get the season done. Because we, we've even talked about what kind of repercussions there are if you don't finish the season and have a winner and stuff. So, so yeah, I, get, I get from a pure business standpoint why they need to start up. Um, obviously, from a health standpoint, you really fear for the worst in these cases, which um, which I'm doing as a fan of soccer and many different leagues out in Europe that are playing right now, you fear naturally um, for what it can cause. But from a pure business standpoint, I think we've really hit it on the head. It, like, it, it needs to be played. The season does need to be finished in some way, shape, or form. So I was, I was reading an article by Cathal Kelly in the Globe and Mail the other day when he was talking about, you know, every team in the playoffs calls up a small number, maybe five black aces. Um, teams are going to have probably 12 to 15 black aces um, on the side. So I think that in, of, in and of itself is almost expecting players to potentially get sick because for any other playoff format, you don't have that many black aces. You don't have that many AHL call-ups. So I think, you know, reading that is kind of shocking and it kind of shows that they're putting, you know, having hockey resumed, which I know is important. I know there's a lot of, um, um, benefits to that financially but you know saying we're gonna have 15 players on the side just in case that sounds pretty that might be just them playing it super safe because usually without covid you don't really need to have a designated reserve because you can you know you can pull from anywhere but in this case they might be saying because every player that could possibly be playing needs to be you know like under under the entire umbrella of the operation maybe we should just kind of max out the the like sideline players just in case because if in worst case scenario they need more than usual you can't really go into the community and grab your call-ups you yeah that's that's a good point um yeah i guess we'll see i mean i think at this point i know nick you're a big soccer guy and there were a couple soccer games on before um i've been kind of taking a step back away from sports, the very few that are on, what is it like watching without fans? Um, and, you know, I think you look at NHL playoffs, it is, it is mayhem. It is insane to see the towels, the, the energy in the building is so unbelievable that having that eliminated, that's such a key part in, in these teams' performances and just the atmosphere as well. So what was that like to, to see a soccer game without fans? Uh, so the German Bundesliga has been on and I have no investment in that league. So I just watch it for a pure enjoyment, uh, thing. And it's fine to look at like 
the cameras and stuff are fine. Like you get the game action that you want, but at the end of the day with uh, soccer, especially as a sport, you need that noise, the chanting and everything that comes with it. Cause that's part of the entertainment. That's like half the entertainment is all the fan engagement experience. So it's uh, from that perspective, it's really different because you're hearing uh, players communicate. You're hearing every touch of the ball that you don't normally hear. When the English Premier League starts up in less than two weeks now, that league is something I have a lot more investment in. So I'm sure my natural like sports fandom and uh, cheering for a club that I know relies a lot on their fans and stuff like that and that is so engaged uh, during their games, it's going to be really, really weird. Um, hockey, I find, naturally has less engagement with the fans um, in general. But I think the one thing that's going to be really interesting is to see what they do with, like, player voices and, and stuff like that. Because we all play hockey together. We know how much cursing and um, swearing and, like, crap is set on the ice. Um, we're going to be able to hear all that mm-hmm. when everything comes back up. Like, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that. And every once in a while, there's a hot mic and you can hear people yelling the odd thing, even like players on the bench beside the color commentator between the benches. So that'll be interesting as well. I think um, there's a lot more communication. When you see a hockey game live, you hear everyone yelling. And I feel like that'll be interesting to, to hear, but the players are also going to have to be a little more uh, wary of that. So uh, as we're running out of time here, we'll quickly move on to the mailbag. Some of the questions we actually addressed um, and so uh, Kyle Cushman said, lower seated team plan with the best chance to upset. Um, I'm going to stick with uh, the Rangers or Chicago. Yeah, I'm going to say the same thing. Rangers and Chicago for me. I'd say Rangers over Chicago, but I see what you're saying. Okay, one from uh, Matt who said, um, which team has the right to be most upset? I like this question. Which team has the right to be the most upset about the 2014 format and which team should be the most happy with it? I think it depends on on what you're because you're a perfect example, Pat. You're a Montreal fan, and you're you're upset that now they're they're in this extra round. They might not get a lottery pick, which is fair. But I'm sure there's tons of Montreal fans that are super psyched that suddenly they're a play. Well, they're a, they're almost a playoff team, um, which is also fair. So I think those bubble teams whether you're a bubble team that just missed out, whether you're a Sabres fan, that's like, um, and you know, like half Sabres fans would be happy that now they have a better lottery shot, I guess. And half of them would be upset that they just missed. So I, I think it depends on what kind of fan you are. Yeah. I think the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to be a little bit upset with the whole thing, just because they have, there's the NHL stereotype of the hot carry price. Uh, no, no matter your opinion on carry price and how he's been the past couple of years, he, does have a name and that's going to carry some weight. Um, I think the Toronto Maple Leafs have plenty of reason to be happy because uh, even though they seem more increasingly likely to lock up a playoff spot, that whole thing was in jeopardy and they were really in danger throughout most of this year of throwing a year away with this excellent young core that they have. So uh, I think for them, it's a relief just to make sure that they're in the playoffs or have a chance at the playoffs this year. And I also think in Toronto's case, you know, if Toronto was to play Boston this year before COVID happened, I was actually betting on Toronto to potentially win just because I think when you have such an astronomically terrible season off ice, on the ice, the coaching, the captaincy not going to Matthews, all the drama surrounding this team, um, teams like that have nothing to lose going into the playoffs and they can uh, sometimes upset. So 
Um, I think Toronto, I think it does benefit them. Um, last question for the teams that have a buy to the first round and do not have to play in the play in round. So like Boston and Tampa, is that an advantage because they have to play less hockey or a disadvantage because other teams will have already played a round of NHL hockey? I think that's sort of at the window now. I think that was a theory at first, but I think with the round Robin that they're going to play um, against each other to battle it out for those top seeds, I think that's going to get them in a game shape. So uh, I think before, when we didn't know that was going to happen, I think that was the big concern. But now that they're going to play some games, they're going to be competitive games to get those top seeds. I think there's going to be a bit more. Um, I think it's, it's going to get them in a game shape. So what I'm trying to say. Because what each of them will play three games, right? Like, yep. That's that's just as many as some of the planned teams will play. So yeah. And by then, we, we assume that players will be skating by then. Um, we talked earlier, certain teams have talked about when their players will be able to skate. It's not like they're not going to be touching the ice while other players are playing. That's obviously not the case. Okay, um, before we wrap it up, cup picks. As in, who do you guys have winning the Stanley Cup? It's a, t- it's a tough question because there's so much that can go wrong with these picks uh, this year. Uh, I'm going to say the Boston Bruins win the Stanley Cup this year. That team was practically unbeatable at times during the regular season this year, and I still have a really hard time writing off uh, Patrice Bergeron, David Pasternak, and Brad Marchand in this. They were one game away from doing it last year. I think this year they make up for it and win the COVID Cup. But honestly, who knows? One guy can get sick on that team, and then the whole thing comes crashing down. We don't know. Really hope that doesn't happen, but I'm going to say the Boston Bruins. Luke? I'm also going to be boring, and I think I think uh, Tampa's finally – I think, like, last year a lot of people said Tampa, too good. They cruised through the regular season, and they got to playoffs, and it just blew up. I think um, – and I, I probably would have said this before COVID, too, but I think Tampa finally uh, has kind of gotten past the – the young, inexperienced, um, really, 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 really good team. And now they're kind of, they've got their stuff together. They kind of know what to expect. So I'd like to think uh, they're going to do well. But I mean, in this case, it's so hard to say because there's 24 teams. And the fact that we're seriously discussing that Montreal uh, could do something, could beat Pittsburgh and they're 24th, it, it could be anyone. So yeah. I know. That's the yeah, and um, I would say I would say Tampa as well. I think you made a good point there, Luke. They're 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 past that uh, young, inexperienced team, and I think they could. Final thing: should there be an asterisk beside this year's Cup winner? Yeah, yeah. we touched on it earlier. I'm gonna say yeah. There has it's hard. There can't Why? not be. Why? Because the season was paused um, right before playoffs. Then they came back with a totally redone, not saying it's better or worse, but a totally redone playoff format. 24 teams are making it. They're doing play-in rounds. They're doing best of five. They're doing round robins. It is so different. You can't, you can't have the Wikipedia page that says 2020 Stanley Cup winner, Boston Bruins, and, and but, pretend it's – could, Couldn't you make that argument for the 2013 lockout when that was – Yes, that should have an asterisk too. And I'm sure it does. But but any team that wins the cup are not, is not going to think they should have an asterisk. It'll only be a factor if their team doesn't win the cup and any other team does. So if Washington, for example, comes in and wins the cup and Ovechkin wins the second cup, that's a strong team. 
you're going to think, you know what, that team or wait, 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 hang on, that team or Tampa or Boston is deserving. But the moment it becomes a potential placeholder team, it's not. I don't think that's fair. What What isn't right is the ask. People are implying that the asterisk immediately takes something away from the team that wins. It doesn't. It just it's just saying like there was a lot different with this with these playoffs. This wasn't a typical. Um, road to the cup that most years are. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not saying, yeah, right. they won, but they didn't really. It's just saying, you know, this was different. Same with the lockout years. So it's quickly, I'm going to say, no, it shouldn't, because I think with the amount of adversity the world is facing and has faced with this entire thing and with the schedule coming up, based on everything that's happened, I think these teams have faced the start and stop that's lasted a long time and will continue to last like a couple more months, even from now. I think these players are just going to have gone through as much adversity as you would have throughout a normal playoffs and throughout a normal conclusion to the regular season to win that cup. They're going to have gone through just as much, if not more than what a team normally would face. So I think just based on that, no. I agree, but you can't argue it's not a different it's, it's going to feel different because there's going to be no freaking cup parade. There's not even going to be one. If Toronto's going to win the cup this year, win it. Because, you know what, if they have to win one, win it this year because at least I don't have to hear about the parade. So um, I feel like the it being different, the placeholder teams and stuff like that, let's say all the placeholder teams are eliminated and you still have a bracket for the final, the top four teams in each conference that looks what we what we would expect it to look like. And then – you know, Washington, Tampa, Boston, those teams that were expected to go on a run, go on a run and win the cup. You're not going to, you know, it being different. No, and an ast- it's not a bad thing. An asterisk shouldn't take anything away from the, from the team that wins. It's not a bad thing at all. But it's just saying, it'll say Boston Bruins, a little star, and that star just means, like, read into this season because it's different. They had 24 teams in the playoffs. That's That's what it's saying. It's not saying – this wasn't a real Stanley Cup win because of this, this, and this. Okay. All right. Well, let's agree to disagree. Okay. That's um, – yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll see how it goes. So, um, I think that's all. We've, I know we've all had uh, different schedules and, and stuff like that, so we'll hopefully try and record more as more news develops within the NHL. When I think we're definitely going to want to do a draft one soon. Yep, definitely. Um, maybe we can see if we can have some guests on for that, talk about the draft, talk about some prospects, talk about other stuff. Um, and hopefully anyone who's listening is staying safe and we can all get through this together. And um, we are going to be trying to record a little more consistently bi-weekly or at least once every three weeks because more news is developing. Um, you know, rankings are coming out um, and stuff like that. So we'll try and uh, take care of that. So um, thank you guys so much for listening and we'll uh, see you next time.